now tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea piping hot so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via whatsapp at 324-1612 email tips at caymanmarlroad.com now here's your host sandy hill broadcasting live from the beautiful cayman islands
I'm very much aware that you uh, can't see me yet. Just give me one quick jig. Olivia, Selena, Irvelyn. Good morning. It is a beautiful morning after all. I see a little bit of breeze out there. Is that the Christmas breeze? Is that the Christmas breeze kind of rolling through early? Can I tell you guys um, something of interest? Did you know that they are predicting that the hurricane season this year <clears throat> could actually go a little bit longer, like the official, I guess, hurricane season could be extended into January? Is that not crazy? Whoa. Now, we talked about these off-season um, storms before. A couple days ago, we were talking about that. And uh, pretty much we've had an off-season storm every single year of the month, except for April. So it's possible that 2020 and 2021 could shape up to be the most interesting hurricane seasons of all. Now, listen, folks, we've already broke all sorts of records for 2020 in terms of the hurricane season. Surpassed the naming record that was set in 2005. And now we are looking at, uh, you know, keeping an eye out for even additional storms. I, I don't know what happens if we exceed the Greek alphabet. Do we start over with the regular one again? That would definitely be a first. That has never, ever happened before on record. So wouldn't that be something? My goodness. You know, sometimes when they predict like, oh, this is going to be a very active hurricane season. I'm like, yeah, kind of not really believing it. But boy, the joke was on us this year. Good morning to the beautiful Sharon. Sharon, how are you? So nice to see you. Brandon, thank you for joining in. By the way, let me remind you guys, if you were ever inclined to come on the program, even just to join in to give your opinion on something that we're discussing, you guys do know you can do it, right? I kind of feel like someone has to kick it off for the rest of you to be like, yeah, let me get on there. Now, I understand if you don't have on your morning faces yet, or you're in the car and you're trying to get to work or you're trying to get ready, but you know, instead of calling in to program, you can call in by video call. I want to start getting you guys used to that. You're like, yeah, Sandy's saying that to us and she's not even a camera. Just give me one second. You're going to see. I'm going to be in camera in just a second here. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a fantastic idea. It's relatively easy to do. <clears throat> you can join from your phones. You don't need anything complicated to join the conversation. And I'm going to show you guys just how easy it could be. We got to test somebody out here. I need someone like um, Atlas or somebody. 
There we go. There I am. Brandon, how about you? Do you want to join us one day? Brandon says, good morning. Hello, Tracy. Tracy says, it's bright and beautiful this morning. It always is a little bit harder for me to see the brightness because I have tinted windows. So um, you guys know that I hate to have to pay so you see any money. But we all have to do that, I'm afraid. So um, every single thing I could do to possibly look to save money. So like every single thing, I have done that. Um, whether that means tinting the windows, something as simple as that to try to keep the heat out. You know what is so interesting is I noticed that one of our windows, um, actually the front door has like one of those front door windows. And I noticed that in the afternoon, a lot of sun used to come right through that and coming to the like living area. And so in fact, what we had to end up doing is we had to double paint that window because um, it was interfering with like, if you were sitting there watching TV, there was like this huge glare. But then it occurred to me that not only is there a huge glare, but that huge glare means heat, like a lot of heat. Like if you wouldn't touch that window at certain times of the day, it would like feel like it was gonna burn your hand, right? So um, yeah, tankless water heaters, gas stoves, tinted windows, extra insulation, solar panels, every single thing so that when I get that CUC bill, my heart doesn't go, ugh. It still thumps a little bit, but probably definitely not as hard as it would if I had not taken all of those measures. I'm always still looking for additional things I can do. So um, we have the automatic lights. You know, when you go into a bathroom, the light comes on and then you leave and it shuts off. We have those in quite a few rooms in the house, all the bathrooms for sure. Cause it's easy to walk into a bathroom, forget to turn the light on or off when you're leaving. So we have the automatic motion sensor switches. Um, so that helps, especially when you have kids, folks, they always forget to turn lights off and on. And, uh, you know, having the right AC units, you know, that's important as well. So there was actually an energy summit this week. And we were not, it was online, but we were not able to attend, unfortunately. Um, I was busy, Danica was busy, like everybody was busy. And it's really challenging at times to split yourself between all of these different events. I'm just looking at a bit of news here as well. So I'm gonna try to see what came out of that energy summit. Maybe we can invite Mr. James Whitaker on the program so that he can tell us exactly what went down. Irvin Siobhan, good morning. Irvin says, what's next? This is a record-breaking year for everyone. Trust me. And it's a record-breaking year for everything as well. So Lizette is here. She says, good morning. There's two Lizette. There's Lizette and there's Lizette. Very close 
different, completely different spellings. Sue is also here. Uh, Sai is here. Lizette is saying, how was the burger? Which burger was this? I haven't had a burger lately. So I'm trying to remember, when was this? Um, burger. Hmm. Oh, a couple weeks ago, was that the one from McDonald's? A couple weeks ago, I had one from McDonald's, which I hadn't had in a really long time. I popped in there and uh, got a burger. Is that the burger? You guys know I love me a Seven Mile Burgers, though. If I'm in the area there, whew, they're like the best. Uh, McDonald's is good, but it's not the same as a Seven Mile Burger. You know, they're like in totally different leagues. Uh, but that was maybe two weeks ago. I've actually been trying to be really good. Ugh, this week I've been eating oatmeals in the morning. I had I didn't pull it out of the fridge this morning. Um, I've got an early morning appointment with some clients. So when I say early morning, it's like 11 o'clock. Really isn't that early, but you know what I mean. So I'm going to just top up on water today. Um, I did have a brownie yesterday. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Went out with some friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And I had a really late lunch. And we were there for a while. Um, but I didn't drink anything but water because I said, you know, let me save my calories. And I, I didn't have anything but water. And then I had my... Um, my proper lunch, and then we were there for a little bit longer and ordered some desserts. I did have a brownie with some ice cream. It was so good. So that would be my one dessert for the week now. So nothing else until next week. Bruce says uh, he's asking about the voters in question. We're going to get to that here with Alec in a second. Bruce Bruce likes to just dive right in. Bruce is like, listen, woman, I don't want to hear about the weather. I don't want to hear about energy saving measures. I just want to get on with the topics. Bruce, we are women. We like to talk about other things too, you know? Uh, by the way, my daughter has a little um, Halloween, not Halloween, what is this? Uh, Pirates Week uh, day at school today. <clears throat> so she got to dress up as a pirate. And you know, kids love to dress up. They get into things. Um, so she had on a little pirate's outfit. And can I tell you guys something really funny? <clears throat> Men think differently than women, for sure. And I think a lot of times it can definitely add some balance to households. And I think it's good to have a man around for more things than one, if you know what I mean. And sometimes you just need a different perspective on things. And so yesterday, because I was having this late lunch, it was actually a, supposed to be a business lunch and it ended up being a little more <clears throat> casual in the end. But I said to my husband, um, you need to go to the Pirates Week store and pick out something for Gigi to wear for Pirates Day. So um, I had already contacted them. They didn't have very many options. So they had like t-shirts and you could do like some bandanas and whatever. So I said, maybe just pick her one of those and we'll see you know, how we can make it work. So my husband comes back with, um, let me see if I can show you guys. This is really funny. Um, I don't have a picture of the actual packaging, but he comes back. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Hold on. He comes back um, and he says, okay, 
I've got to show you what I got. And he shows me the outfit and I'm like, okay. I mean, they said they didn't have any costumes, but maybe they dug one out and they found it, right? So here's the outfit. Let me show you guys. Super cute. I'm not gonna, I listen, I like it, right? She's got a little pirate's hat on and her little pirate's dress. And yeah, that's looking good. She's got her little, you can't see in this picture, but she's got her bag with her gold coins in it, her little pirate ring and all that sort of stuff. This is, this is good enough. You know, this will do put some little shoes on and I don't think he bought her a sword or anything, but she'll be okay with this. I thought, yeah, this is awesome. I like it. Two thumbs up. Good job, daddy. And then he's like, okay, well, I got to show you something else. Look at this. Folks, have a good laugh. This is the actual pirate's outfit that my daughter is wearing this morning. It is a doggy pirate's outfit. Do you guys see this? Pet shop boutique, Ruby's pet shop boutique, pirate girl. So this is for a quote unquote large dog. <laughs> Includes the dress, the hat. Oh my gosh. So this is what Gigi's wearing today. This is so funny. Now, if you guys know anything about the little doggy outfits, they just like put them on. It has the Velcro thing in the back. So that's how she's all connected in the back of her outfit today. But I mean, it works, doesn't it? <laughs> Why not? I mean, I looked at it and I thought, what the heck? At first I was like, no, Marlon, really? And then I thought, okay, well, she's not gonna know the difference. Nobody else is gonna know the difference. Come on, if I just showed you this, you would have never known that that was this outfit. <laughs> and let's be honest, she looks a lot better than the dog. In this picture, that dog looks pissed off. That dog is like, why the heck do you have this outfit on me? Like, seriously, take it off. Coco's kind of like that when you put clothes on her. She does not like it. So Brandon says one for Coco. Yes, Tracy. And you know what? Um, we used to dress, I used to dress Coco up, not we. I used to dress Coco up and Coco hates it. Like she gets really stiff. She's like, take this off of me. So I'm sure Coco is really happy that she is not the one in this outfit this morning. And instead it's Gigi and Gigi loves it. She's, I'm a pirate. <laughs> yes, Alma, this is what I'm telling you. Men think differently. I would have never in a million years looked at that outfit and thought that that could work. So I don't even know the wiring in the brain is different for men and women. <laughs> So Rocio is having a good laugh. Um, Rovina thinks it's hilarious. Tracy says, yes, daddy is thinking out of the box. Good job. Irvlin says she loves it. Beulah loves it. Um, yes, it is, uh, it is what it is. Trust me, it's just so incredibly hilarious. Ah, but you know, you've gotta be innovative sometimes, so. What the heck? Bruce, 
says there's nothing wrong with a little light discussion before getting into the more serious matters. My house is also completely automated with solar panels, smart switches, smart locks and sensors. And his bill went from $600 to $200. You see, that's what I'm talking about there, Bruce. I'm telling you, um, it's nice to get a $200 bill instead of almost paying another mortgage. So uh, Irvlyn loves it. I think Irvlyn is still celebrating her birthday. You know, she had her birthday over the weekend. I think the party has been like continuing into the week. Olivia, thank you so much. I love it. I do love the outfit as well. And uh, yes, he did a good job. I'm not even gonna, I'm not mad at it. I'm not gonna hate the outfit. I think it's very uh, ingenious. I, I loved it. I'm just like, you know what? This works. Let's just do it. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff, folks. Sometimes we, we spend so much of our energy and brain power uh, stressing about, about things that, you know what? When Gigi is 10, even next year, she's not even going to remember this. She's going to be like, yeah, I was a pirate. What's the next outfit? She will have no idea that this was actually a doggy outfit. And I'm here for it. And she gets to go to school happy. That's the most important thing. She gets to dress up like her other friends. The other little toddlers in the class are not going to know anything about the outfit either, unless their parents watch the show. <laughs> and then they might be like, what the heck? But uh, it's perfect. Alric looks like he is ready. Good morning, Alric. Morning. How are you? Okay, just. Yeah, I need to move over on the camera a little bit. You're looking nice and dapper today. It's the mall road cameras. <laughs> looking good, looking good. Good morning, Bonnie. How you doing? I keep forgetting to play my morning how you doing um, button here. Now, where is it, first of all? Uh, I think my husband changed up my buttons on my, hmm, on my little machine here. I don't see the how you doing one. Oh, we need to fix that. All right, looks like it's disappeared. That's all right, we'll get it, we'll get it. Alric, you had a good week? Uh, it's been good so far, um, I hear may have some other storms or systems developing. Um, yes. Speaking of systems, um, folks, I'm going to post something on Facebook later. And on the website, the people of um, San Andres, uh, Providencia, Santa Catalina, they need our help. And so I know a lot of local efforts are um, focused on Honduras. And uh, I don't want us to forget about others who are also in need. So I'm going to put that up. There's some local persons and individuals who are starting to organize themselves. And so please keep an eye out for that in terms of how you can um, get in contact with them to sort out some scheduled donations. Now, uh, I'm hoping to have someone on soon, but the communications on that island are still very, very limited. I understand that on uh, Pro Providencia, for example, uh, there is one satellite phone that people are sharing to try to get out um, in terms of communications. 
So um, Sai says you need a smile, Alric. And he's got such a nice smile too. There you go. Flash that million dollar smile. Look at that. He's he sometimes I think Alex's actually a little bit shy. Um, Melita, how are you? Alric is coming out of his comfort zone, folks, to be here to talk to you guys um, about um, you know some serious issues. But yes, he's got to put himself out there a little bit. And it's not always easy to be in the spotlight in the public eye, you know? So I take my, I honestly take my hats off to anybody who runs for political office and makes a serious go at it. Like they really put in the effort. They get out there, they go door to door and they do all this stuff. Cause I know it's not comfortable for people. They may just love their country and have ideas and wanna be part of the solutions be part of the process but they don't necessarily like oh i'm a bubbly person and i have you know i'm a type a person whatever they may not be all that extroverted or whatever i think um alric is probably a typical nerd and i say that in the most flattering way possible but you know smart guy prefers his book with maybe a glass of wine and conversation with one or two people but reaching thousands of people or hundreds of people is probably really out of his comfort zone. But then I think back to one time when Alden McLaughlin was like that too. And look at Alden, he's now the premier of this country. And some of you love him like you love sliced bread. So there's hope for everyone and everyone has their own journey to make. Uh, so I had a chuckle at that comment. I know this because as I've told you guys before, I was one of the founding members of the PPM and I was in the I was in the trenches with them getting the party started. And I remember Kirk, um, Kirk Tibbetts taking Alden in places like Windsor Park, which he may not have ever been in his entire life. He's a crew road boy, you know? And so taking him down in Windsor Park and Dog City and all these other areas and say, listen, Alden, sit down. I'm gonna show you how this polit politics thing works. Have a seat at the table of Miss So-and-so. She gone and get us some rabbit. And Alden probably was like, what the hell is rabbit? I'm just kidding. He probably knew what rabbit was. But, uh, you know, go get some rabbit, some famous turtle meat, stew kunk, whatever was on the menu for the day. We're going to sit down and eat out of this woman's pot and uh, play a little bit of dominoes, get to know the boys in the neighborhood. I'm going to introduce you to some of the gangsters, some of the old grannies, the movers and shakers in each little segment of Georgetown, because these people are who you represent and you got to know who they are. Now, Alric's story is very different than Alden's. I'm sure of that because Alric actually grew up in those neighborhoods. So he's all too familiar with all aspects of life in you know, a typical neighborhood like Windsor Park. And so, um, Alric is going to be here. Sai says, I'm making her hungry. Lord have mercy, Sai. This early in the morning, rabbit sounds good. Turtle stew sounds good. Lord. Um, Irvlin says, I scrape out all this stuff from my pantry and is taking some, sending off some stuff today. Thank you so much, Irvlin. I likewise have been going through uh, pantries and closets and uh, don't forget that the Cayman Islands Red Cross 
is recommending that you do not send them or bring any goods to them. They are taking cash donations only because they have talked to, talked with us, generally speaking, about what happens to unsolicited goods. And the fact that most of this stuff actually ends up in the landfills. Now, I want to show you guys something. Because, you know, I do receive um, information from all over the world sometimes. And I can't always say, well, this is 100% authentic. But a lot of times our sources are spot on. And I want to show you all some information here that I thought was interesting. Now, I can't swear to how accurate this information is. But the mere fact that someone would even send this to me and share this with me, I think is very, very shocking. Um, so let me show you guys this. So as you know, like I said, a lot of people are starting to send goods to Honduras. And so someone sent me these photos out of Honduras, right? And the story behind the photos is, I think, what you're going to find most interesting. This came with a message that the government of Honduras, let me show you guys this. There's these packages here um, that are donated goods that have come in to Honduras. And I have been told that uh, this, I got this on Tuesday. So this person said that these packages are actually donated goods, which the government has then bagged up and they're giving out to people um, that are like their own government supporters and stuff. Let me, let's, let's listen to the message. I don't want you to actually hear the person's voice. So let me mute it for a second. I'm going to mute my mic. And then I'm going to refresh my memory in terms of exactly what she said. Okay, so the person said, I just wanted to refresh my memory about the details, that the government of El Salvador has sent these packages here like this. And what the government of Honduras has done is they repackaged them because each box is supposed to be like for a family that could last them like maybe a week or so of essential goods. The government of Honduras has repackaged them in bags um, in this warehouse. And then they're giving them out to their own people and telling the people that this is from the government of Honduras because the government of Honduras is doing such a great job that you should continue voting for them. Listen, honest, dishonest governments are a thing all over the world, folks. They are everywhere. 
The Cayman Islands is certainly no exception when it comes to dishonesty in government. So I'm not shocked that that's a possibility in Honduras or anywhere else in the world. Uh, remember yesterday we had Ms. Jacqueline Carter on here from the Miami Herald. Now you guys may not know this, but Ms. Jackie Car Car Carpenter, my apologies. Um, Jackie is an award, like she's a Pulitzer um, Prize finalist. Uh, Emmy award-winning journalist. I mean, she's amazing. She writes all of the articles that you've seen in the Miami Herald about the Caribbean, whether it's about Haiti or wherever. She's the person, like that's her, that's um, her responsibility. So she writes all of those articles. And she said yesterday that, you know, after the Cayman Islands, um, after Hurricane Ivan, she was the first journalist allowed into the Cayman Islands. And I did not even know that about her, but she said, yeah, at the time the government was really trying hard to hide a lot of things in terms of how bad the damage is. And we had heard that. So that wasn't necessarily a surprise. Maybe it was a surprise that she knew it. <laughs> they didn't do a very good job, obviously. But um, when national disasters or natural disasters happen, the government is tested for sure. And their processes are tested, their, um, the government elected officials are tested. And so I'm not entirely surprised that sometimes you see some real cracks in the government system. You know, our government, we have said by and large has done a decent job. There have been some issues along the way for sure. Um, I still stand by my position that no one should have received any accolades or awards so early on in this pandemic. Dr. Lee is embroiled in this judicial review case after a missing email. We haven't gone through the details of this case yet, but maybe we can do that this evening or tomorrow. But there's a missing email from Dr. Lee that has resurfaced. And I was sitting in court last week when this missing email was the point of discussion in court. And it seems really duplicitous that this email turned up and I'll tell you why when we talk about it. And so they think that either the AG's office was purposely hiding this email or their client, which would be CBC and you know the um, minister, what's his name? Um, Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Lee, we're purposely hiding this email from the court. And folks, you do not hide documents from the court, especially documents that just because they don't help your side of things doesn't mean that you can't that you're permitted to hide them. Disclosure is a really important part of any um, court case. And so it is interesting how this email came about and the fact that it came about at the 11th hour. And you know, if government had any sense, folks, they would be conceding this case. They would not allow the judge to write a scathing, which I'm sure is what's coming, judgment against the government yet again when it comes to the issuing of search warrants. But that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to allow the judge and to go on record. And as you guys know, I have won a judicial review case against the government. But... Um, of course, in my case, they conceded at the very last hour, but at least it was still in court. They finally gave up and they're like, okay, we give up. 
So Arling says, that's the government. My country is a beautiful place, but the government makes um, makes bad everything. Bad everything. That's uh, the help from El Salvador. Yeah, so this is messed up, right? But, you know, the people have to be prepared to hold governments accountable. And um, when we don't hold them accountable, that's when they feel like they can do stuff like this. You, you know, you're trying to fool the people and folks, if you keep voting them in, then technically they are fooling you. I mean, they get it, right? So um, I think that's kind of low though for, even for Honduras, that's like, come on people. But yeah, I mean, listen, the government of Honduras has a sketchy record at best. We often hear about them uh, being involved in all sorts of shenanigans from, um, you know, drugs, the U.S. government has accused the government of Honduras, the elected officials being involved in the drug trafficking business for a really long time. And the irony of it is, isn't the brother of the president, the current president, actually um, in U.S. custody or something for some drug cases? They built a case against him. I remember that happened. I think he was arrested a couple of years ago. There was some indictment papers or something that came down. So yeah, don't trust your governments, folks. That's the bottom line. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, there was something else that someone mentioned that I wanted to pick up on. All right, well, Alric is here for us. So let us start talking about some of the topics that we have on cue for Alric to discuss today. The first one, Alric, is this idea that people overseas, Caymanian overseas, are not being permitted to vote in the upcoming election. Um, their, their name on the ballot or on the um, electors list is being challenged and potentially being removed by the elections office. Tell me how you have come about uh, information that this is happening. And I'm going to pull up a letter, Alvic, that we do have that uh, was shared with you. And I think I saw something initially from, um, I believe it was uh, McTaggart. Um, what's his name? Kent McTaggart. He posted something on Facebook. Now, I got to be honest with you. I personally did not even know that Kent was overseas. So first of all, what is the criteria? Because if you're overseas, you can vote as a Caymanian by absentee ballot or what they call here mail-in ballots. That is certainly an option. Um, who is eligible to participate in voting although they are overseas? Do we have a fix on this? What does the law say? Um. It's something I'm I'm looking looking into, uh, but generally speaking, once your name is on a register, you should be good. Um, I mean, I I don't think that as long as you don't lose your citizenship, in my view, you shouldn't be removed from the register. So to get in a to get in a register in the first place is is simply, you know, being Caymanian, being 18 years old, and um otherwise if you're if you're 17 now and you're going to be 18 on the date of um election 
then you should be good to be registered to, to vote, to be entitled, entitled to have your name on the register. Well, what, what's happening is um, once you register to vote, you are all, only allowed to have one ordinary residence. And what, what seems to be happening is the elections office appears to be going to residences or confirming with immigration office, I imagine, to determine if the person is in Cayman or if the person has you know, abandoned their ordinary residence. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is um, the, the elections law allows any person on the elections list to file mm -hmm. an objection. And if someone, if someone on the elections list files an objection, they have to, have to provide grounds for that objection. And then they give all of that to the registering officer. The other way you can have an objection filed to you being on the list is if the registered officer, him or herself, has reasonable grounds um, for the objection. And in either case, the objection is completed on something called Form 9, which is available on an elections website. So what, what's happening now is I'm receiving different letters from people who are resident in Georgetown South who may have been overseas for a short period or taking care of someone overseas for a short period or working overseas for a short period. And they've received this letter and it's a letter of objection from the registering officer saying that they have reason to believe that they're no longer resident at the address. So it's, it's, very, it's very disturbing to me that there seems to be this campaign to remove voters from, a, from the voter registration list. And I'm not sure why, I'm not sure if they're telling the voters in advance the reasons why they intend to remove them. If they're giving the voters a chance to explain why they're not at a particular residence, they could have simply moved, moved to another electoral district, for example. I'm not sure if the voters are being given that opportunity to explain. I, I, I learn more from elections office. I, I wish someone from elections office would come on your show on Cape Mountain Road to explain what the... What well, funny enough, Alec, it's funny you should say that because I have just uh, in real time sent them an email asking for them to do that. Um, I can't remember Mr. Wesley Howell. Now I know that he has, he wears multiple hats in government. So I know he has his regular government job and then he's also the election supervisor. And um, I can't recall what his email address is there, but I'll send it to, I guess, his regular government one and hopefully he'll get it at one or the other and he can respond. Uh, but we will definitely invite him uh, to have an interview with us so that we can get some questions answered on behalf of um, the electorate. So yeah, this is this is really, really interesting because I always assumed, and again, I'm just having um, a quick perusal of the website and it talks about postal voting and it does say that you can request a postal ballot if you registered voter who is living off island, such as students and persons away from medical care. 
If you can, um, it says then you can request a locally delivered postal ballot if you're a registered voter living in the Cayman Islands, but we but but will be away for um, from the islands on election day. So I think probably what is happening is for their purchase for their purposes, um, that issue being resident on the island is where there is a distinction being made. So in other words, Miss um, Darlene just mentioned that she likewise had contacted them and was told that um, she can't vote. That's because I'm sure of it that the elections office is no longer counting her as being resident in the Cayman Islands. They see her as having moved abroad on a permanent basis and see her as being registered or um, ordinarily resident as the legal term goes um, in the UK. So I think for the purposes of the elections office, I'd like to hear from them exactly how this has been defined. We have seen this issue of what constitutes um, ordinarily resident being interpreted by the courts before when it comes to candidates. And uh, Tara Rivers, of course, was I think the last lawsuit, Alric Lindsay himself was also involved last time in uh, litigation where someone questioned his eligibility to run. And in your case, Alwick, they said you were eligible. Yes, you know, once you're associated with Cayman Mall Road, you always win. So <laughs> if you look at, um, so section 11A of the elections law, so that everyone knows where to find it. Um, it says um, ordinary residents of an elector shall be the street address of the elector where the elector ordinarily lives while resident in demand. So if you want to see the definition of ordinary residence, just take a look at, um, it's page 13 of the elections law mm -hmm. and it's section 11A. So it's, it's supposed to be your street address and um, the elections law allows the um, registering officer to request any information that they deem necessary to determine your ordinary residence. And it's to me, it's very unclear how they're reaching this, this conclusion that, that you're not, you're no longer ordinarily ordinary resident. Like I said, I'm assuming they're contacting immigration and they're trying to get a confirmation whether, whether or not you're on the island. But my thing is to be fair, I think they need to be asking why the person is not at that location because the person may have a valid reason for not being at that location. Um, and you're right. In my case, the government, the government fails because um, the judge felt that the supervisor of elections didn't have sufficient evidence to bring the case against me in the first place. And one of, one of the peculiar things in my case years ago was that they, the government actually got a copy of the um, travel history. So you can call immigration and get a copy of your travel history. Anyone can do it. So they got a copy of my travel history and when they presented it in court, the travel history showed that I left Cayman before I arrived. So, you know, the travel history doesn't, doesn't appear to be accurate. 
I think there's, I, I'm not sure if the immigration department has fixed whatever flaws they have in a travel history report, but I'm not sure that that can be relied upon if that is what the registration officer is, is using to determine whether someone is in Cayman or, or ordinarily resident in Cayman. It's something that we need to look into. And um, I hope that they do accept the Mall Road invitation to come on come online to explain to people because there are Caymanians who have been overseas for a while and they've come back to live permanently. And they had no intention of breaking their residence. You know, they, they just wanted to be overseas um, for a minute. And now they're being penalized for it. I think that, um, Albert, can I get you to move over just slightly? Whenever I change the view, I recognize, I recognize that it off-centers you just a tad. There you go. Um, I think Flashpoint has a question here. Flashpoint says, I think that you need to be resident. Where would you vote if you don't have a place of residence in the Cayman Islands? So I think what it is, um, Flashpoint, is they still have a residential address. So like um, I'm sure Ms. Darlene still has her family home, but she has moved to the UK. So the question becomes, and this is why folks, you want to ensure that during um, election time, you are paying attention, not, not election time, I apologize, during times of um, constitutional reform, I should say, you are paying attention to the various provisions of the constitution and uh, what the drafters are suggesting, how they're defining you know, ordinarily resident. There is a legal definition that is accepted by a court of law of what ordinarily resident means. So um, for our purposes, the constitution, could it have redefined for the purposes of the constitution what ordinarily resident means? I don't think it could define what ordinarily resident means, but it could have expanded who as a Caymanian is um, permitted to vote. So I think in the case of Americans, even if you're living abroad, you retain the right to vote in the US election by postal or mail-in ballot. Having said that, as an American, you also have the obligation to pay taxes no matter where you live in the world. So maybe they see that as just an extension of their overall and overriding philosophy. Um, legally, I can see the point of why someone who's not resident, even though they're a Caymanian, if they're not resident in that country, then they, they're kind of like, well, why would you want to have a say in the affairs of your country if you're no longer even there? Um, Caymanians, on the other hand, you know, being such a small community, such a small country, there's few of us who, well, the numbers are growing, but there are few of us who have that title of being a Caymanian and being eligible to vote, uh, not PR and all these other categories. So you would think that as small as the electors list actually is, that it might not be a bad idea to get everyone um, who is a Caymanian overseas or otherwise uh, involved in the decision-making process of this country. That's one way of looking at it, but I don't think that necessarily that is how the, the constitution has looked at it. And it certainly does not appear to, um, to be how the elections office is looking at it either. So currently we have 21,000 
903 electors um, on the list, and they've got it broken down by the 18 constituencies. And this is why folks, when they say every single vote counts, you better believe that every single vote counts. Now let's have a look at this letter that is being sent out to individuals. This is what it says, notice of objection, form nine. And uh, it says here to take notice that um, this person of an address in West Bay qualified for inclusion in the revised list of electors for the Georgetown South. Um, so the, the registering officer, my apology, is the one who I guess is objecting. Um, but the, the other person should be included for in the list of Georgetown South electoral district and am so included and that I object to the inclusion in this list of so-and-so on the grounds that she is disqualified for inclusion in the list because she's no longer resident in the electoral district. This is dated September of 2020. So Alec, let me just ask you a question about this form nine, right? So for an objector to object, do they have to be registered in your district or can it be anybody objecting? Uh, according to um, the elections law, it has to be someone who is in the same electoral district as you. So there are two ways to do it. Uh, a person who's, who's on the list and the same, on the same list as you can file an objection to the registered officer. The other way to do it is, to, is for the registered officer herself or himself to file an objection and state those reasonable grounds of why they believe that you should no longer be on the list. So the, the, the letter you're reading out now is from the registering officer and, okay. and not, not from another voter. And, oh, okay, I see. And uh, um, looking at the, um, the elections law again, you are right that um, you can apply to be an absentee um, voter. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if the people who are overseas have applied to be an absentee voter and have a, have sent their overseas address as an absentee voter. I'm not sure what's happening because the people who have sent me their letters don't seem to have received any explanation or been, been asked to provide any reasons why they are not at a particular address or any reasons why they may, may have inadvertently not applied to be an absentee voter. You know what I think, honestly, Sandy, is that a lot of people don't actually know the rules, the election rules of election law, and they don't actually know what's in the constitution. So I think some people may be innocently leaving Cayman for a period and maybe forgetting to complete the application to be an absentee voter, or maybe they just moved to another electoral district and they're not aware that there's a rule that says you have to complete another form if you're gonna move from one electoral district to another. My, my, my problem is we should be fighting to make sure as many people as possible mm -hmm. are 
in the elections. Um, we shouldn't be finding ways to restrict them from voting. I mean, like, as I say, as long as you're resident, in my view, you should be able to vote. I think I think the problem is how is that term resident being um, defined? So Sai says I didn't abandon Cayman. I moved away to have a better life for me and my kids, but it's kind of unfair that we can't vote. But again, this concept of resident, I can tell you, someone who has uh, sat through many uh, law school <laughs> lectures um, will know that you know it becomes contentious. Well, who like laws all the time? Says so someone who is resident here, you know, whether it's filing for divorce. Um, yes, you have to be resident in a particular jurisdiction or whatever. And it always comes up, well, what does that mean? What does ordinarily resident mean? And so the judges always have to look at that and interpret that and is left up to interpretation often. Um, Lizette wants to know where she can get her voter's card from. So the elections office is currently located in Bayshore, not Bayshore, um, What's the name of the positive across from the wharf? Um, Alric, help me here. What's it called again? Um, uh, it'll, it'll come to me in a second. Baytown office, Baytown Plaza on West Bay Road, number 68 West Bay Road. So folks, here's the thing. The May election is coming up here shortly. You've got to make sure that you're double checking that you're on the list because maybe somebody has objected and moved you and you don't even know. I don't know. Um, you know, dead people, obviously, they have to remove deceased individuals and um, verify that you're on the list and you're in the correct electoral district and all of your other information is correct as well. Get your voters ID cards, to be honest. I don't even know where mine is anymore. Um, I think it might be in a drawer somewhere, but when you go to vote, as long as you take that or your passport or whatever, they normally don't object. But um, Flashpoint says, is there a legal requirement to update the elections office when your residential address changes? There is, and there is a form on the website, but this is why we want to invite the supervisor of elections on the program and give you guys advance notice so that you can... Um, come in with all your questions and hopefully he will have all of your answers because he's the expert here. But yes, it does have, um, you know, a requirement that you uh, update your information. So for myself, for example, I have moved. I am no longer um, in Newlands as a voter. Uh, moved ever so slightly, but it has put me in a totally different electoral district so I am required to change and update my information, which I will be doing here soon. In fact, I think I need to go by the elections office and just do a walkthrough to show you guys how the process works. Um, well, that's the issue, Sandy, is that I don't think a lot of people are aware of all the rules. And so like a deadline might have gone by and you yeah. should your form 13. So the, the elections law does, I actually posted it on your screen, on your chat, the, um, the chats for users can see what the wording of election law is. Um, so so you, are, you are meant to actually um, advise the elections office and come okay. to 13. But I don't think a lot of people know, so this is the problem, you know, um, I'm not sure how the rules are being communicated to people and the last date of registration is the 4th of January. 
So if, if you need to change your address or if you enter for the first time and you don't know that you have to do all this by 4th of January, you're going to miss your chance to vote, you know? So uh, what happens if I, uh, this is a question really for Mr. Wesley Howell. I'll, I'll leave that for him. Uh, let, let's see how quickly we can get Mr. Howell on the program, folks, and answer some of your questions, because I do have um, some questions of my own about how all of this works. So, um, yeah, you know, we need to we need to find out. 21,000 people, that's not a whole lot of people that are on the electors list. So I kind of agree with you that, gosh, only really remove someone if they are deceased and if they're dead. Um, well, deceased, dead, same thing, right? Um, but it seems like other things will get you removed from the list as well. People will object to you being on the list if you are living overseas. So, hmm, very, I mean, very interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, what, what I think is um, they need to really set out all the grounds they're, they're, they're going to use to remove someone from the list so people understand what, what the claim is. And once people understand what the claim is, they can then explain themselves. Right. Uh, but I, I just not sure if the voters are being given that opportunity. It just seems like a campaign to reduce the number of people on the voters list. And I, I just can't understand why they would do that. And I'm not targeting people who didn't vote for them. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't I don't understand uh, the motivation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of it. I think information is definitely knowledge. And, um, you know, we need to we need information is power. Knowledge is power. So we need to make sure that we've got the correct information to operate with. So hopefully, folks, uh, we can hear from Mr. Wesley Howell soon to try to explain to you all exactly how this process works and what you've got to do between now and January to ensure that you are um, eligible to vote, you're on the list, you're you know in the correct district, you've got everything sorted out in terms of where you're supposed to be. I, I honestly think they should extend that January deadline. Um, I don't think that they can because of, of how the elections law works. There is a quarterly deadline um, that they have to operate by. So because the elections date has been set from May the 26th, um, they've explained this before. And like I said, I'm not very good at explaining this particular thing, but they have explained it before because their list has to be um, finalized and whatever, like once a quarter. So the last possible deadline based on the constitution and the elections law would be that deadline in January. And that is not something that it's optional. It's not like the lecturer, the supervisor can just say, oh, I'm just gonna extend it because then he himself would be in contravention of the law. So if the law says X, then it is what it is. And um, those persons who are aware of what the law says needs to make sure that everybody else is also aware of what the law says so that you are prepared and you are ready. Because if you do not know that there's a deadline coming up in January and you waste the next couple months, then uh, you're going to be in trouble, folks. Yeah. You know, what I've always tried to understand is um, in the case of people in prison, you know, serving a sentence exceeding 12 months, I was wondering why they're disqualified. Do, do you know the rationale behind not, not allowing a prisoner to exercise voting rights? 
Um, not really, except that, you know, I guess we believe in punishing people who commit serious crimes in more ways than one. And so the punishment extends to um, your ability to participate as a citizen in your own country. Um, it happens in other countries as well, because I know there's a big fight in the U.S. to get uh, prisoners back on the list who I guess had been removed. I don't know what the specific criteria are, you know, country by country. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a punitive thing where, you know, you kill somebody or whatever and you get a year a year in jail or more, you will lose certain privileges. Um, it's funny that one of the privileges you never lose, though, is, is a privilege to pay your taxes or to <laughs> stamp duty or, you know, you never seem to lose that privilege. Um, so you still, you still got PC, you see. No matter yeah. what. You still got to pay your bills, folks. You never lose that privilege, except if you're actually incarcerated. Then the pleasure is that uh, it's Her Majesty's pleasure that, you know, she'll pay it for you until you get out. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like yesterday I was having a discussion as well. You know, someone is running for a political office and they're convicted of something. Um, there are certain things that can certainly impact your ability to run, and that's a conviction. But once again, the only offense that you will ever be um, disqualified for the rest of your life, permanent disqualification, regardless of whether you got a sentence or not, is a dishonesty offense. So if you've been convicted of uh, forging a document, stealing $1, whatever, a dishonesty offense will mean that you are precluded from ever running for elected office in the Cayman Islands. I bet you a lot of people didn't even know that. And it doesn't matter if you never got jail time, as long as you have a conviction recorded, then you are in a heap of trouble. So someone said, well, that's interesting. So you could beat a woman, um, get a conviction recorded. You could sexually assault a child, get a conviction recorded. You could technically, I don't think murder would count because murder um, or homicide, normally, it depends on how it's done, obviously, you'd probably get more than a year in jail. So it's like more than a year for other offenses. But say, for example, it was a vehicular homicide, like I was drinking, ran down some little old lady in the block, and um, I only got a six-month suspended sentence, or even a six-month sentence. I go to jail for six months and I come out. According to the law, I could still run for office and be very much eligible to win. Yeah, it's it's odd though. I mean, see, so this is what disqualifies you: disqualification of electors serving a sentence of imprisonment by whatever name it's called, exceeding twelve months imposed on him or her by a court in any country. By the way or substituted by competent authority for some other sentence imposed on him or her by such a court or is under such a sentence of imprisonment, the execution of which has been suspended. Can you give us the rest of that? Um, yeah, I think it doesn't come up on your, on one of your- Yeah, can you copy the rest and put it in a new comment? Okay. I don't know why my phone is talking to me. She said, one moment. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, these smart devices, I tell you. So Catherine says, has anyone noticed that the woman who, the woman who was arrested for stealing from Tortuga Rum now works as a cashier at Kirk's supermarket? Which woman, Catherine? 
I don't know which woman you're talking about, but which woman was that? Because there's been more than one arrested at Tortuga. So can you clarify which one you're speaking of? Um, I don't know Catherine, because to be honest, I hardly ever go to Kirk's. But having said that, thieves and alleged thieves seem to be able to get jobs quicker than qualified Caymanians like Sylvia Wilkes. Um, the rest of it is a person certified to be um, insane or otherwise judged to be of unsound mind under any law enforcement in the Cayman Islands, okay. Uh, is qualified for registration as an electoral by any law enforced in the Cayman Islands relating to offenses connected with elections is disqualified. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think we definitely got some questions from Mr. Wesley Howell. Hopefully he'll come on the show. Um, Catherine says the short one, can't remember her name. <laughs> Unfortunately, that does not help me. Um, give me give me some details of the offense. When was the theft? What was the theft? Um, So um, I still don't know who that could be. Um, Tortuga, Tortuga. Well, there was two people. No, I think there's three people arrested. Uh, there was, um, oh, is it the Jamaican um, dance hall queen girl? I don't know that she's necessarily short, though. I think she's average height. Um, Eve High Voltage, is that who you're talking about, Catherine? I have no idea, Catherine. There's been a few people that have stolen from Tortuga over the years, unfortunately. So electors, uh, big question mark there. Let's try to see if we can get some clarification on um, exactly what the legal position is. And uh, the more information, the better, I think, because like I said, we do have an election coming up in May. So folks, it is your responsibility to ensure that you know exactly what's going on. And um, you know, if you want to participate, now listen, there's also an opportunity for those of you who are not registered to vote to do so at this time. Alwick, tell us a little bit about the numbers in terms of the younger voters, because they seem to be the least likely to be registered to vote. So who, who, the 21,903 individuals, um, what does that look like? Young people, middle-aged people, who are they? Yeah, that's actually set out on the, um, the elections website. I'm just going to pull it up now. But generally speaking, across the whole... Um, a group of people who are not registered, they're actually over over five thousand people who, who are not registered. But I'm just looking at the um the stats, uh, the breakdown. So, um, if we look at the breakdown by electoral district, um, tw well, twenty four age twenty four and under, we have registered electors one just over a thousand or 24 years and under 
What Twitter. district is that? Sorry. So this, this is um, all the districts taken together. Oh, wow. So when you look at the age breakdown, those are 24 and under, they're just over a thousand people. Those that are 25 to 34, they're 2,880. Those that are 35 to 44, they're 3,200 registered voters. 45 to 54, they're roughly 5,000 registered voters. 55 to 64, 4,600 registered voters. 65 to 74, 3,000 registered voters. 75 and older, roughly 2,000 registered voters. What this means is um, the majority of our voters that are registered, uh -huh. 45 and older. So the, that, that is a concern because we, we don't have, you know what, when you have older voters, they tend to vote the same way. Mm. They, they, they voted how their parents voted and they tend to be very loyal about who they vote for. And sometimes that's why things don't change. Sometimes that's why the same person gets in all the time. So when you look at this breakdown, it's kind of scary, right? The majority of voters are 45 and over. That's the reason why I've helped out some groups with voter registration, trying to get young people to register. Um, you know, every time I go to door to door as well, I take voter registration forms with me because sometimes there are kids that are 17 who are going to be 18 by election day or who are 18 now that haven't registered yet. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't know the process and they haven't heard about the deadlines. And it's really critical that we get more young people to vote. If the young people in this country say they would like to see change, one way to see that change is to register to vote and then actually show up at the voting station on voting day to vote. Because it's, 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 to me, it's better if you say you want change it's better for you to vote for someone that you think has your interests at hand. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't participate in the vote and you don't vote for someone, that means that someone else is selecting someone to act in their interests. Right. So, so important to take part in the process. If you want change, then participate in the process, register, don't be afraid of jury duty. Some people say, I don't want to vote because I don't want to do jury duty. But I know many people who never get called for jury duty. So me, I've never been called for jury. Not that they would probably call me now, but <laughs> I'm just saying, even before the drama started 10 years ago, I had never my I registered to vote and I've never been called for jury duty. So and I know that people have been called like three, four times. So I don't know how they use that list, but anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't call you, Sandy. You know, you have a law degree. <laughs> well, now they wouldn't call me. Um, I think there's certain categories of individuals who are actually excluded from jury duty, like pastors, ministers of religion, which is kind of weird, but yes. And I also think media might be excluded. I'd have to double check, but there are categories of individuals who are actually excluded from jury duty. Yes, you are in the legal profession. Maybe I'd have to look that up again. Uh, I think you are correct, Sandy. 
Yes. I'm just digging back from my law school days, um, trying to remember some of the things that I learned from way back when. Okay, folks, let's talk about a few topical things. Um, Alric, we do have some time left in the program here that I think uh, a couple things that have been in the news recently. Good morning, Odette. Um, Catherine is still trying to remember who that person is so she can inform us. Now, um, something of interest, Alric, that has come up recently, and I think it's worth discussing, is um, there has been a lot of uh, things happening in the Legislative Assembly, right? So as you know, when Parliament the LAC convenes, sorry. Parliament, Parliament. Yes, I was gonna say, when the LA reconvenes in December, they will from then on be known as Parliament. And um, the uh, elected officials will be ministers of Parliament, MPs. Why this change, any idea? I, Is it I, just cosmetics? What are we doing? Well, I, I was listening to um, some of the, the MPs on the, on the radio station. Mm. Uh, I understood that sometimes when they're traveling, it's kind of awkward for them to explain what an ML is. Oh, okay. Because nobody know, knows what an ML is. So that's what I heard listening to them on, on the radio shows. And Okay. I, I think it's also meant to bring some level of prestige to the position. So um, while um, we are still unemployed, we got issues with the education system, we got issues um, with the cost of living, you know, trouble coming up with COVID. We don't know what, what direction we're going in, but we'll just go ahead and um, change the name to parliament and just go ahead and Become well, to be fair to them, those changes were, I guess, already a sign and seal deal um, before COVID hit because they'd gone to the UK and done all the negotiations and agreed uh, to the different constitutional changes that would be going forward. So it's just more of a cosmetic change so that people know what an MLA is. Okay, I get it. Um, yesterday, we reported on the fact that a cruise ship had been sailing out in the waters, thankfully did not come here. It's this small super yacht cruise liner called Sea Dream Yacht Club. And in case you guys missed this story, this company was trying to prove that there was a safe way in which to sail the high seas as a cruise line. I've put the link there for you in case you have not um, seen it. Now, there's a bit of an interesting development about this because here's what we know. Um, <laughs> this is a high-end uh, cruise. They only carry less than 250 persons at any given time. And someone wrote and said this was like watching a slow motion train wreck. This idea that they could implement rigorous health protocols which meant that passengers and crew were gonna be safe. So by rigorous, they meant hand washing and wearing masks um, at night after the first outbreak. There's one commentator that said, rigorous health protocols, which did not even require passengers or crew to wear masks. Then as to be expected, there was one passenger who fell ill 
untested positive, and then five guests tested positive, and then seven guests were confirmed with COVID-19. And then of course, crew members were eventually added to that list as well. Now this Sea Dream Yacht Club has refused to provide information to the public, releasing only a single misleading press release according to this one Cruise Law News article that only one guest was assumptively positive and that all guests and non-essential crew are in quarantine in their staterooms in an absence and an abundance of caution. This article goes on to say, but the truth is that uh, so far, eight people from the cruise ship have tested positive, are in isolation in Barbados. And now we know that this is confirmed. This was written a couple of days ago. In addition to bits and pieces of information, which the travel writers and cruise fans have intermittently tweeted out, the local press in Barbados most recently reported that seven passengers and crew were aboard the Sea Dream uh, who had tested positive. Now, the interesting thing about this article is it is saying that um, persons who were from the UK, Austria, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Germany on this particular ship, as well as Americans, were then permitted to get to international airports and flew out of Barbados um, to different in, through international airports. I think the infected ones went on a private plane back to the U.S. As far as the remaining 47 passengers are concerned, Sea Dream and Barbados permitted them to leave the ship and fly back to their respective countries. This is obviously in violation of every imaginable health protocol, as well as common sense, in responding to shipboard outbreak. Barbados, what the heck were you doing? Sea Dream claims that its procedures are aligned with the um, US CDC, which technically do not directly apply to this non-US sailing uh, ship. So this sea view is actually Norwegian owned. But the CDC requires that all remaining passengers or crew, uh, other than those who have tested positive, must be transferred from their cabins to isolation rooms and quarantine. And that clearly hasn't happened. Um, cruise operators must also make housing arrangements with, short, with shoreside facilities for isolation and quarantine of COVID-19 cases and close contacts. So basically, this um, article is saying that, listen, this cruise operator, as they call themselves, um, did not handle this in keeping with uh, protocols set by the CDC or any other government agency. The Barbadian government was complicit in assisting them in getting people back to their home countries, uh, going through various airports, and that uh, this is a real concern. And this is precisely why, right? This is precisely why no one should be having any comfort when it comes to governments and even private entities in the uh, cruise line business really helping to often do the right thing when it comes to COVID because they're always thinking about the money. The Barbados government agreed to allow this cruise ship to uh, enter Barbados. They claimed that you know, they would go on these pre-booked excursions they had journalists and bloggers 
on the cruise who were going to write about what a fantastic cruise this was afterwards to promote this idea that you can now take a cruise at the height, the third wave, folks, of COVID, where the U.S. is having in excess of 160,000 cases per day. And now they surpassed 250,000 deceased persons because of COVID. And this rhetoric that, oh, despite all of that, there is a way, not, you don't have to wear your mask, imagine that, but there is still a way for people to embark on a cruise, a vacation and do so safely. After the outbreak, uh, this company has now said, oops, we'll be canceling all of the rest of the tours for 2020, really. Um, someone actually showed a photo of people getting on a British Airways flight and said, people think cruise is bad. What is ridiculous, which is ridiculous considering how much effort goes into it. No social distancing, condensed lines, people knocking into us, mask around chins, crammed into airport trams like sardines and people not wearing masks in a flight. And this was a picture of uh, people getting on a British Airways flight, which by the way, we know that British Airways flies in here. The government just confirmed yesterday that there would be six additional flights between December and January permitted um, from the UK. Now, let me just show you guys this picture that I've taken off this cruise line article website. To me, this is shocking. And uh, Alric, what is your general view on cruise lines thinking that they can cruise out there safely? Uh, this, this thing is greed. I think that they are only concerned about making as much money as they can make. I think that coming out of our lockdown and going into next year, I think that um, it was a perfect opportunity for us to think about our relationship with those cruise lines. Because remember, when we decided to close our borders, it was some of the cruise lines that were kind of threatening that they're not going to use the Cayman as a route anymore. And that was a direct threat in terms of us making the tourism revenue. Unfortunately for them, our health is more important than, than those dollars. Uh, obviously, at some stage, we need to uh, start doing business again, but we can't do that if it's not safe. I just don't think the cruise lines have an interest and a real genuine interest in the safety of the destinations. Um, and not just the cruise lines, Alec. I mean, this is British Airways. Now, listen, here's a question. Glad you're both back safe and sound. Out of interest, were you on a special flight or did Sea Dream put you on a commercial flight? Was the airline aware that you've been exposed to COVID for days? Any tests taken en route? So the question is, how do you, this is a guy saying, oh, thank God, you know, but look at all this stuff. No social distancing, blah, blah, blah. How do you get on a British Airways plane stacked in like sardines, as this says? Is British Airways not themselves following any protocols? Because this doesn't look like any COVID protocols are in place. My God, this looks like a regular pre-COVID uh, boarding of a flight. So regardless of whether or not British Airways knows if anyone is infected, I would have thought, like Cayman Airways, that they would have had some better measures in place 
social distancing, even boarding the flight, people having to have their mask on at all time, not under their noses, not under their chins, um, and not packing them into the airport trams like sardines. So this concerns me beyond just the scope of what the um, cruise line is doing, because yes, they, we know that they're greedy and that cruise industry has proven that when it comes to the health and safety of the travelers, the um, you know natives in different countries, whatever, they don't care about any of that stuff. They've more than made that clear that for them, it's all about their bottom line, but it seems like the airlines are probably not much better. I mean, come on, British Airways. Yeah. So um, uh, we'll talk about vaccination here in a second, Amanda. So Linda says the cruise with Ben and David were on uh, and, were test and were negative tested pa passengers and they choose to cruise for free. They complained about the plane when they were the ones known to be exposed. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, yes, Ervalyn, let's talk about Boeing here in a second. Uh, Amanda, this concept about uh, being vaccinated before coming here, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about in terms of vaccination. So yes, there is the Moderna, there's a Pfizer vaccine, there's a Moderna, Moderna one, I think. The UK has committed to purchasing 5 million of the Moderna vaccine once it's available. I think the Pfizer one has to be kept at like a specific temperature. There are all sorts of requirements. I don't know much about the Moderna one as yet. Here's what we do know. There's no guarantee. I mean, obviously they've been tested and they believe that they're safe and they're, they're getting approval, but there's no guarantee of how long you will get protection once you've been vaccinated. So this isn't like getting a vaccine for polio, which has been around for a really long time, or you know, rubella, whatever other vaccines are out there that we know that, okay, if you get vaccinated as a baby, you will have lifelong protection or you will have 20 years of protection and you need to be re-vaccinated or whatever. We don't know any of that information really in terms of these particular vaccines. And in fact, um, I heard some discussion that some of them may only give you something like a six week protection window. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like we're 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 being we're gonna be guinea pigs in the Caribbean. It seems like you know they, they usually use Africa and the Caribbean as their testing bases. So we'll, you know we'll see what happens. We need to dig a little bit deeper into the vaccine issue to get all the details. But um, in other health news related to COVID, the FDA has authorized the first at-home coronavirus test. So let's see what that looks like. Um, but New York City is going to shutter all public schools again as their um, virus cases increase. There is a mini outbreak on the U.S. Capitol Hill that is threatening to disrupt the business of Congress. So this is just a couple um, tidbits, FYI. And New Orleans has said that there will be no parades during February of 2021 during the Mardi Gras celebrations. And in some shocking but not so shocking news a quarter million like i just said over 250,000 americans have now died from the coronavirus passing the number that dr fauci predicted in march and apparently there is no sure site no sure end in sight 
Experts predict that the U.S. will soon be reporting 2,000 deaths per day or more, matching or exceeding the spring peak, and that 100,000 to 200,000 more Americans could die in the coming months. If you think this coronavirus is a hoax or a joke, folks, you got to wake up here. Putting your hopes on a vaccine that might give you six weeks of protection is uh, kind of like believing that Santa Claus actually does fly the entire earth on Christmas Eve. Have you invited the company or the people in Cayman that are inviting members of the public to um, test the vaccine here? We reached out to them and their response was like, we'll pass on your message to oppress people. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be holding my breath to hear anything from them. Um, Irvlin's question about the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, clearing Boeing 737 safe after 20 months of being grounded. We did publish that article yesterday. So in fact, that is correct. Um, that has been done. Um, so what we do know now, Cayman Airways had says, they've released an official statement saying that Cayman Airways Limited is aware that the FAA of the United States has completed its recertification of the Boeing 737-8 MAX aircraft. While Cal welcomes this significant milestone towards the aircraft returning to service in the United States, the FAA recertification completion does not immediately result in any changes for Cayman Airways. Cal remains in close communication with its regulator, which is a civil aviation authority of the Cayman Islands, who will ultimately make the final decision on any ungrounding of the 737-8 MAX aircraft in the Cayman Islands. And it's expected that such a determination will be made in conjunction with the European Aviation Safety Agency and the UK agency as well. So just to remember, just a reminder, folks, and a lot of us Caymanians think we are somehow uh, linked to the US. We are not. We are a British overseas territory, which means that our regulatory agencies for things like this are not actually the, a the FAA. Although I must say that when the FAA um, set certain standards in terms of flying into the US, obviously we have to adhere to those standards, but they are not our regulators, folks. So our regulators uh, on the European and the UK side have to go through the same process of recertification, clearing them. Of course, if the FAA has done it, it's more likely that eventually these other agencies will come to the same conclusion as well, but not necessarily. Because remember, the FAA came under a lot of scrutiny um, as a result of the two crashes that cost almost 400 people their lives because there were questions about how Boeing's, this particular aircraft, got certified in the first place because there were concerns that the FAA may have turned a blind eye to certain things. Um, so I don't know, Irvlin, when Cayman will uh, come in anyways, who has two MAX planes, two of the MAX 8s. We had ordered four. We had received two by then, but uh, uh, we'll have to see how that works out. Am I going to be the first one on the on the first max to go out of the Cayman Islands post-COVID? Hell no. Don't count me in. I will be like, nope. As a matter of fact, 
if we ever get to the point where they're like, okay, it's kind of, maybe there's an effective vaccine. It's kind of safer to travel. I'm going to still be on Amazon at my little fingers. Like, that's okay. You stay right there. I'll be ordering my stuff off of Amazon and staying my butt right in the Cayman Islands for the foreseeable future. I can't take any chances. Louie, top of the morning to you, my friend. He says, good morning to everybody listening on the show. Uh, Carol says, pilots have to go through training before it can fly. Yes, there is a retraining process as well that I understand is necessary. Um, they found a lot of fixes in the, a lot of issues, I should say, in the 20 months that that plane was actually grounded. So uh, let somebody else do that, yeah? I'm not, I'm not well, feeling it, folks. Even one of the things I heard, I don't know if it's true, but this is the Mall Roden. I heard that they might rebrand the Max. So they might have to change the name and you might not know that you're flying on the Max. Lord have mercy. Well, in Cayman, we're gonna know because the plane is very distinctive. Um, and you know, we only have so many planes here. So we know what the old ones look like. And we certainly, unless they rebuild the entire design, we will know exactly which one is the brand new plane. So maybe that might work in some other larger jurisdictions where millions of people fly and they don't know what they're jumping on. But here in Cayman, oh no, you will know right away. Mm -hmm. uh, Louis says it's kind of ironic that people feel the same about uh, the vaccine as getting in the 737 MAX jet. <laughs> yes, uh, there's definitely risk involved. Um, Ervalyn is surprised by something that Sue said, I guess, in relation to the MAX. Um, I'm just trying to have a look at what else was in the news. So listen, Alric, as you know, we are having a real issue with um, child molesters in the Cayman Islands. This continues to be an ongoing problem here for us. Um, thankfully, some of them seem to be getting caught now and victims are coming forward. I was in court yesterday and there was a guy there who um, actually the day before was granted bail after allegedly assaulting a child from the time she was seven until she was 11. The child had told his own daughter and the little girl, I don't, I don't know how old the other child was. I was trying to read through the file and ascertain the age of the other child, but apparently the other child didn't believe that her dad could do that, but I think she had repeated it to the father. And then the father went back to the victim a couple months ago and was drilling her about why did you say to my daughter that I did this to you? Sometimes my brain feels like it wants to explode at how our children are being treated. Now, if this is another child, I get it because children don't, they don't necessarily always have a filter. And I'm sure she doesn't, she hadn't thought of the fact, she's probably 11 or 12 herself. Maybe she hadn't thought of the fact that her father is a child molester. However, parents, it is your job to explain to your children that if their friends tell them certain things, like, oh, this is a secret, but someone is hurting me, someone is doing something to me, they need to tell the police or an authority that will actually do something about it. Don't go back and tell the person who is alleged to have done it. That doesn't make any sense, folks. 
And I want to show you this guy's picture. He is actually an EMT at the HSA. And again, let us be mindful that everyone is innocent until proven otherwise. I have read the court file and what the victim has alleged has been going on since 2015, since she was only seven years old. And it appears to me that this man's behavior was actually escalating as is normally the case when a child is being molested. Um, there is a grooming process. So they kind of start with smaller things. Let's put his face up there on full blast there, folks. So he's going to start with, you know, touching of her privates while giving her a bath and pretending that somehow that is normal, caressing her parts in ways that, you know, a seven-year-old might be like, okay, he's caressing my buttocks, but what does that mean? I don't know what that means. I know my mom doesn't do that when she gives me a bath. So is this like a different way of giving me a bath? People, your children are not going to know any of this stuff if you do not tell them. And you have to have difficult conversations with your children. I have a four-year-old daughter. She already knows about her privates and she knows you know, different words for it. And she knows that no one is supposed to touch her there, not even me, and I'm her mother. And I go out of my way to say to her, no one can touch you there. When it comes to bath time, I want her to take ownership of her body, even at three and four years old. And I will hand her the wash rag and say, you wash yourself by your privates, nobody else. No one should ever touch you there. And kids, like I said, I'm sure she doesn't understand or know why I'm telling her these things. But you have to set a foundation for your children to understand what behavior is acceptable and what behavior is not acceptable. So that when someone starts doing something to them that isn't acceptable, they can say, hold on, this isn't right because my mommy, my daddy has told me that no one should be doing this. And in fact, little girls, you know, you have fathers, obviously, who are very involved in um, things with little girls, giving them baths and whatever. And I don't think that a father, once a little girl has reached three, four years old, and she's starting to understand that she's got body parts and, you know, that's her body, the father needs to step out of the picture in terms of bath time. Not to say that you're assuming your husband or the child's father is going to do something to the child, although... Check the court files, folks. It happens a lot. But you're also setting in the child's mind that it's not appropriate for a man to be rubbing on you, to be giving you a bath, and all of these sorts of things. So you're helping your child to understand that there are boundaries, what people can and cannot do with that child's body. And if something feels weird, something feels different, they need to tell an adult. Now, I know that children are not always comfortable talking to adults. So in the case of this particular victim, she actually told other people, it was her sister, and I don't know how much older the sister is, but it was her sister who actually notified the adults and the authorities as to what was going on. And this man, believe it or not, has been in the child's life practically from day one. They're not related, because I know a lot of you are thinking maybe it's his own child, they're not related. 
And I don't want to give out too much information that could potentially say who the victim is. I'll just say that they are not related, but he's been around this child. Very close family friend, trusting relationships. These are the bitches that will uh, take advantage of you and your trust and your family's trust and molest your children. Yes, he is an EMT at the HSA. Um, Louis says bathing a seven-year-old, what? Ex exactly. Especially when you're not even the child's father. There are things that I do not understand that happen. Parents, what are you doing? Don't allow your children to engage in sleepovers. That's the biggest no in the world. No sleepovers. In fact, I've thought about this and I've previously said, well, I know little girls and boys enjoy sleepovers. You know, maybe we can have a sleepover at my place, but I don't even want the responsibility of your child coming to my house. So no, there'll be no sleepovers at my house and none in the reverse for sure. Come and play during the day and you leave and you go home to sleep at night. Simple. Uh, so this case, he was just arrested. And um, we will be watching this case ever so closely to see exactly uh, what happens with it. And, um, you know, where it goes, really. So, folks, it is uh, immensely disturbing that someone else messaged me and had the following to share about this individual. Last night, this person said to me, um, good night, CMR. I'm asking kindly for my identity to be protected, please. There is an article in reference to Selvin Caballero. To be honest, he did this theme to me at the hospital when he was employed as a porter. I was 13 years old at the time. He instilled so much fear in me and that's why I never reported it or told anyone. I really hope he gets the rightful judgment. Now, listen to me, folks. I am very much aware of the fact that um, victims are afraid to come forward. I understand that, I get it. Not only are they afraid to come forward, many live an entire lifetime with a story like this and never share it with anyone. A couple days ago, the police were encouraging individuals to come forward if they are um, aware or if they have been victimized by someone. And in particular, they're talking about a local promoter here, which we all know is Mario Vibes time. We've talked about him on this program. There have been a lot of allegations circulating around him. The police have said, women, ladies, we need you to come forward. The police cannot build a case against someone unless there is a victim, a complainant. So every single time you see someone hauled into court, there is someone on the other side who is lodging that complaint. It's not just the police saying, oh, we're gonna just take you to court. They need to have a witness statement at the very minimum to say this person is being accused of this. So Salvin has been accused seven counts of um, doing this to this child. 
I would dare say it is way more than seven. And you know what I why I say that? Because the truth of the matter is, and I've said this to you guys before, by the time someone is caught, they have often left a slew of victims in the wake. Like this other person has said, this happened to me when I was 13 years old. And he was a porter. I didn't even know the dude was ever a porter at the hospital, having access to people at their most vulnerable. And you're a friggin' pedophile, molester. Like, seriously? It's unbelievable to think that someone could be working in such a position of trust, dealing with people who are potentially unconscious, sick, on IV drip, whatever. And now this is what he is being accused of. We stress everyone is innocent in the court of law until otherwise proven. He will have his day in court. Seven counts dating back to 2015. And those children will manifest their truth eventually. Don't scroll the child as they don't know the difference yet. And yes, grooming starts from adults even through pornography, exposure, and small gestures showing sexual innuendo. A mother can nurture better than any man. A true loving mother can heal any wound. Well, you know what, Anne? Uh, a lot of times people who have been molested need professional help because I find mothers themselves are not equipped um, yes, they can be there for the child in a maternal way, but they may not be equipped to deal with the trauma that a child has endured because of abuse. That's why professional counseling for the entire family, but in particular for the child, is very, very important. It's a must. I agree with you, Louis. I don't understand, on the one hand, how people like this can get bail. Like to me, anyone who's accused of such a heinous offense should be incarcerated for the rest of their lives. That's my opinion. I believe in death penalty for them personally. However, from a legal perspective, I do know that individuals, there is a presumption in favor of the defendant to be granted bail because the court still considers him innocent until proven guilty. So there's always a presumption of bail in favor of the defendant, unless there's some really major overriding reason why a person should not be granted bail. And that is why even people in um, you know, manslaughter and murder cases get bail because there's a presumption in their favor. It's only, I think there's maybe two offenses, rape and murder, that the presumption falls away and even in those cases, if the defense attorney can make an arguable case, the person will probably still get bail. Alric, what is your take? And I know a lot of um, MLAs, budding MLAs, seem hard pressed to talk about child molesters and uh, what they would propose as le legislators. And so I'm now putting you on the spot today. I wish to hear from you. Uh, what do you believe is the rightful punishment for anyone who is convicted of molesting a child? Um, so I think um, to be to be clear about any conflicts, I, I do sit on the parole board, so I can't make any comments regarding any existing situations on right. the board on the parole board. So um, I think that you 
had the right approach when I think you were you were the person who was pushing the register. Yes, a sex offender registry. Yes. So I mean, my my personal position is I, I think I think that's a good idea. Um, I think that um, the victims should be taken more seriously rather than you know in some cases you know looking at the wording of some some uh news releases it would seem that the victim is sometimes treated as if it was their fault so it, it seems to me like the culture has to change and we have to find different ways for children to be able to um, voice their complaint without being treated like it's their fault. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I think the authorities should consider much longer sentences. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. The, author the authorities should consider it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I'm, I'm not referring to any existing issue that um, is, is before the parole board. I'm, I'm just saying, uh, generally speaking, I, I think that um, the authorities should, should, should consider that if something happens to a child, it means that it's going to be a lifelong impact. So mm -hmm. that impact the child's learning. It, it may impact their relationships in the future when they become adults. You know, they have all these things um, psychologically that's bothering them, that's based on that traumatic experience as a child. So I don't, I don't think it's something that we can look at lightly. And I hope that the policymakers are able to take a much more serious approach to things like this, rather than, you know, changing the name to parliament and you know, painting the building and and things like that. Um, you know, uh, I think it's uh, something that the public needs to push as well. If the public wants this issue to be taken more seriously and for offenses to to be, you know, to reflect the 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 type of. Um, uh, crime, then the public needs to push it as well. I think one of the things you're going to find is um, there are also going to be, you know, human rights groups, and there's there are always going to be people who look at things like data protection legislation, who will, you know, take the legal position that these people have rights to. Mm. You 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 will see that argument happen. I. I personally don't see an issue with having the sex offenders list. At least people in a certain area would know what precautions to take. Right now, you may not know what precautions to take because you, you don't have that list. I mean, I recall I recall that you were fighting for that, for that list. Um, but if you don't have the list, how will you know, right? How will you know that you can't? Exactly down to the park to play or how you know yeah. whether the person lives near a particular school or how do you know right i mean you're yeah. walking home from school 
someone offers them a ride or something, you know, you, you don't know. So I think, I think while law, lawmakers might try to balance this thing about, you know, data protection and human rights, I think the, the impact on a child when something goes wrong, that, that lasts forever. So it doesn't matter how much counseling you get, it lasts forever and it destroys the child's future. So I think um, it's something that the public really needs to think about and needs to determine whether, how badly they want a change in this area and then push for it, you know, tell them to ask their incumbents, mm. uh, ask all the candidates what they're- Here's an example, Alec, of where the system fails us. Here's a man who was convicted back in 2013 of sexually molesting an eight-year-old child that was uh, very close to him. He did everything from making her watch um, pornography to um, including a sex tape of himself and his girlfriend before eating decently assaulting her. He'd been assaulting her and grooming her for quite some time, even taking her to his workplace. He used to work at uh, the credit union and he would take her to the workplace and um, make her watch stuff there on the workplace computers, sitting on his lap as he was doing things to her. And he was given a six month sentence. So what I need to hear from legislators or anyone who's running for political office is how can someone be convicted of this heinous offense against an eight-year-old child in a situation where this poor child, um, it was said, would be scarred for life, as you just mentioned, needs intense psychological, she suffered emotional and psychological problems as a result of the abuse and will require long-term counseling. This was the um, report that was supplied to the court. She was blaming herself for the abuse. Imagine an eight-year-old child. She was feeling guilt that this man could potentially be going to jail. And it is my understanding that even after coming out of jail, he has access to the victim. Uh, those are some of the things in practical terms that we need to be talking about in this country. No man who has ever molested a child should have access to the victim. I don't care who the person is. No man who's ever molested a child should be able to drive around or walk around in the vicinity of schools. We heard of the Webster case where that was many, many years ago, back in the late 1990s, but he had impregnated his own daughter and he was permitted to then work at his sister's daycare center years later. And had it not been for me getting on the airwaves, I didn't have Kim and Ma Road then, but I certainly got on Rooster and other talk shows and saying, how can this be allowed? And the parents at the daycare then threatening to pull their children out of the school and her losing money, all of a sudden she's gonna fire her child, molest her brother. And that, that was a absolutely shocking case, right? For years he'd been molesting that little girl. Oh yes, I'll fire him as the gardener. Why would you ever hire a child molester as a gardener in any event? This is why we need, uh, you know, the, the registry. This is why we need orders. Well, now finally, thank God, we have some orders in place that will prohibit these individuals from going into certain places. We've heard of people who have been convicted then going and working at Turtle Farm amongst tourists and tourist children. It's like, come on, people. We have to do a better job. I understand that they obviously have to work and do something in life. But we have to do a better job of, of trying to protect uh, our children. Ms. Beulah says he's the second one from the HSA. Marshall says that's why he's been doing it for so long, getting away with it, 
because no one is reporting him. They need to come forward and get him arrested and put away. Even Jamaica has a sex offenders registry, Carol. They got one too, uh, some years back while Cayman has been talking about it. The attorney general, after a petition was served, finally admitted that we need one. And that was it. Years later, we've not heard. Yes, we need one, but so what? Nothing. Chatter. Alden McLaughlin hasn't said, Mr. AG, I need you to push this. Yes, we need one. Let's put the laws in place. Let's implement it. They can pass all sorts of other laws in a hurry when they're ready, but nothing to protect our children. No greater sentencing. You will serve more time in jail for having a firearm in your possession. You will get seven to 10 years, depending whether you plead guilty or not, for having a firearm, for molesting a child and ruining that child's life, you get six months in jail. You tell me where that makes any sense at all. Something is woefully wrong with the system. Really and truly. Um, so the other guy, there is another one as well. Remember him from last week when he assaulted a 12-year-old? So um, in this instance now, he has also been granted bail. We're going to be looking at his file today. Um, we couldn't get to see his file yesterday because he was actually in court and the judge still had the file. So we'll be bringing some details about this other alleged child molester as well. Nicholas says prison is too good for these molesters. Parents do everything in your power to protect your children. All right, folks. Um, I do realize that we are out of time this morning. I just want to remind you. British Airways um, has some updated uh, flight information. You can go to, to um, Cayman Mall Road and have a look at um, all of the information there. So there's been six BA flights put on for December and January. The dates have been set. There's the issue of landowners. Uh, the landowner, Chris Johnson, evicting the fishermen from the fish market. We had covered this story before, and now he has filed legal documents to move the process forward. We will talk about that on this evening's show. So um, start tuning in, mark your calendars for that. Siobhan says, uh, when people start killing them, they want to lock us up without bail. Well, yes, they will lock you up without bail if you kill them. Um, I always say, you know, follow the law, try to do the right thing, and allow the law to work. I can imagine that in these types of cases, that would be very difficult to do. Folks, that's what I've got for you. We're working on a number of stories today. San Andres, Providencia, Santa Carolina. We just got some additional photos. Um, the military is going in there on, um, uh, some military have already arrived. Uh, some pictures now are coming out of um, Santa Catalina in particular. The destruction is almost 100%. Uh, there will be a Colombian military plane, let me make this announcement, coming here on Saturday to take persons that would like to go back to the area to help to rebuild. So they're calling for this Friday night at the airport park. There's going to be a meeting for those who wish to go and help. 
Um, I don't have a time yet, so let me just confirm what the time is. And we're going to put this in a story, so keep an eye out for the story. Um, I understand that CI government is helping in any way that they can. And this person says they're very grateful for that. So let me see if we can confirm uh, the, the, um, the um, details of the meeting. And we'll put something up on our website a little bit later on. So please, folks, we know Honduras is um, hurting but there are other countries as well. Um, San Andres, Providencia, and Santa Catalina have been hit by a Category 5 storm, the first time on record for them, and it has been incredibly devastating. On um, Providencia, 98% of the buildings are completely destroyed. Um, so Ervlin has some distrust of vaccines. We'll see Ervlin. We can talk about that a little bit later on. So that's all I've got for you, Alric. Thank you for joining us on another Thursday segment with Alric Lindsay, folks. Just a reminder that Alric is running for Georgetown Central. Um, I just have a little bit of a Georgetown Central. <laughs> oh, by the way, um, the um, the on Fridays at seven p.m. You, you said Georgetown uh, Central. I don't want Kenneth to be calling me. Sorry? You said Georgetown Central. Oh my God, Georgetown South. I don't want Kenneth to be calling me after the show. You know? <laughs> yes, for sure. So there's Alaric's information, folks. Um, let me, there's something else I wanted to mention just now. Oh yes. So um, the um, Cayman News Service did an article on me. Someone sent it to me yesterday. I told you guys before, I don't tend to read other publications because sometimes you're working on like similar stories. And so I don't want to get like their wording in my head or whatever. So I tend not to really read a whole lot that is happening locally. Obviously sometimes on Facebook, I might see a headline or whatever. Um, but uh, CNS did a story on the fact that I had, which I'd informed you guys about, um, admitted to swearing during a protest, which um, the judge said would probably amount to disorderly conduct. So I said, fine, if that's disorderly conduct, then you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, um, that I didn't swear, I did swear. I'm gonna be completely honest about it. Anyone who's familiar with the Mike Adams situation, poor Mr. Mike and his sons are now facing additional assault charges. Um, they too would be swearing, like honestly. Um, However, you know, it is what it is. So let me just, um, I'm gonna tell you guys why this, I did read this article in part by CNS. And one of the things I found funny about Wendy is she actually has now changed what she refers to me as. So remember one time the competition was like, oh, she's a blogger. And now she says that the social media reporter. <laughs> so I had to laugh at this. Um, it seems like we have been elevated in the eyes of our competition. And CNS now considers us a reporter, but we are a social media reporter. I don't know what that means. I've never heard of that term being used before. 
Uh, does anyone know what a social media reporter means? I don't know. Um, obviously, we're not just on social media. We have a website. But I thought it was an interesting transition term to go from blogger in the eyes of Wendy over at CNS. <coughs> Sorry. To now being called a social media reporter. So there you go, folks. Now they're calling us a reporter. Look at that. Nothing has changed. But now we are a social media reporter. Doot, doot. Where's my little, uh, where's my little <laughs> button that would be appropriate for that? There we go. Yes, there, that's, that's the appropriate air horn for that one. Alric, what's on your agenda for the week? Tell us what uh, we can expect for you to be out and about doing. Well, every day is spent doing door to door. So um, just organizing a team now to help out with the door to door. Uh, so that, that's it really. And reading reading the um, uh, upcoming legislation and, and to do a short video so more people can understand about the legal services bill, which is which will be discussed in the next sitting of, of parliament, they call it. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully I can get out some shorter videos um, with some more plain language that, you know, so everyone can understand what the issue is and just understand that if parties can control one sector, they, uh -huh. can pass, they can pass laws to control other sectors, you know, so, um, which would effectively leave you out of consideration for promotion. Mm -hmm. we, we, need, we need to um, get more people involved in discussion when it comes to draft legislation in Cayman so they understand whether or not the legislation is in their interest, how, how it impacts Caymanians generally, those sort of things. And I think sometimes the laws are just too complicated, you know, there's just too much legal wording in there that people just need a lawyer just to interpret. So that, that's kind of what I'm working on, looking at legislation and providing comments and trying to educate people. And um, a couple of people in the community, I'm, I'm trying to help as well in terms of, you know, some people have been threatened with eviction, having to move out of their house and trying to assist um, community members to um, you know, avoid, avoid their eviction because at the end of the day, if the person gets evicted, what happens? Then the government has to take care of it. Right. So, um, just trying to find, uh, solutions. Um, and that, that's a push I've basically taken is a solutions approach. So, uh, just work, trying to work with different parties at the moment, uh, to address various concerns. You know, there are small business people that I speak to as well, Caymanians that business is slow and they're looking for referrals to, to do work. And I'm trying to connect them with other people as well. So I, I would say that my entire week is is just about trying to get people to work together. Mm -hmm. You know, just trying to hear their concerns, um, trying to, I think I think we should do, probably do, um, I think you should get the supervisive elections on your show as soon as possible. Uh, Cause I, I just uh, received 
the notice of claims and objections, mm-hmm. which um, is on the elections website. Um, and, you know, it, it lists a lot of people from various electoral districts that probably will have their name removed from the register. So I think um, the sooner the better you get the supervisor of elections on your show, you know, to clarify if those objections are for, from the registered officer or they're from someone, just someone else on the list, because I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned that we should be taking the approach of registering as many, as many people as possible to exercise a constitutional right, rather than removing as many people as possible uh, from, mm-hmm. from All right, well, Alec, thank you so much for that. Uh, We will definitely be reaching out to them. So folks, um, for the foreseeable future, you can get Alric right here on Thursday mornings. He'll be joining the program. He is committed to that. So we can put him under the gun. Uh, Sometimes we have a set agenda and then we kind of discuss other things much like we did this morning. But rest assured, you know, Alric will continue the conversation on the legal services bill, which he thinks is, uh, assault aimed at the legal profession to undermine Caymanian, locally Caymanian qualified attorneys, and it is not in the best interest of the average Caymanian. So we're going to delve into exactly what sections he has concerns about. But as someone who is uh, putting himself up for elected office to represent the people of this country, there are many other issues. He has to be a 360 person. So everything from the fish market and what is happening with um, that land ownership situation, they're basically trying to get them you know, kicked off of that land, uh, which the government does not own. It is a privately owned piece of property that they're refusing to sell to the government. So we have a lot of, um, a lot of issues that are facing this country, child abuse and neglect, domestic abuse and other such things. Alric has to be well-versed in all of these things if he hopes to represent the people of Georgetown South and the rest of the Cayman Islands. So Alec, thanks again for your time. We'll see you next week, Thursday, God's willing. Thank you for having me on your show, uh, social media reporter, Sandra. (laughs) Thanks again, folks. Today is Thursday, November the 19th. I will see you all at seven o'clock this evening for the evening segment. I think that we shall have a look at this fish market situation because there's some interesting things. I've read the court documents now from Mr. Christopher, uh, what's his name, Johnson, and there are some interesting things in that. Uh, Going back to the um, point earlier from, um, oh gosh, who was that? Uh, Catherine. Catherine is saying, this is the lady here, this Filipina lady, that she swears that she sees working now at Kirk supermarket after having been arrested and outed by Tortuga for stealing from them. This was back in, um, when was this? This is back in April of this year. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said before, steal from someone and you'll get 25 job offers try to have an honest living and be an honest, good person, qualified for the job, and no one will hire you. You tell me. Anyway, folks, have a beautiful day. Uh, Go out there, work hard for your coins, and we'll see you guys this evening at 7 o'clock.
Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 